Morning, Grace. How y'all doing today? You enjoying the uh, cooler weather this week, hopefully? If you're like me, you're probably really focusing on that smell of chili already that's coming through uh, the sanctuary. Um, Hopefully it won't be too distracting. But I definitely do want to extend another invitation for you to come back after second service. Amazing chili, great fellowship, and it is one of the uh, largest fundraisers that the youth have during the year to be able to fund uh, sending kids to camp. So please come back and join us for the second, uh, after second service for that. Um, will you pray with me as I get started this morning? Father God, I just uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the people that have come and chosen to worship with us today and learn a little bit more about you. God, may the meditation of my mind and heart and the words from my lips just seek to uh, contribute what it is that you would have for us today. Amen. All right. So we've been talking a lot about prayer lately. We've been in this series called Talk to Me. We've been taking a look at what it means to pray to God, how to communicate with God, what to say, how to listen. What we've really been talking about is how to engage in a relationship with God. How do we re, uh, maintain this relationship? Just like maintaining any relationship, I feel like you have to have good communication. And good communication relies on transparency and honesty. This is why we've chosen to focus on prayer as much as we have lately. Understanding what and how to communicate to God and how to listen to him communicating back to us It's kind of a fundamental element of what it means to live out our faith and take it seriously. Today I want to take a look at why many of us, myself included, might be struggling in their prayer life from time to time. I found that over the years that when I struggle the most with my own prayer life are also the times when I've wanted to control my life circumstances the most. And when my prayer life has been the most fruitful, that's when I've been able to release control the easiest and relinquish whatever fear might be controlling my circumstance. If you're like me, it's one thing to intellectually understand that we should maintain a healthy rhythm of prayer life, but living it out in practicality can be hard. It can be difficult from time to time. We find ourselves in circumstances where we let fear dictate what choices that we make. Fear of loss, fear of rejection, fear of the unknown, all of these can limit our potential in really living out a full relationship with God. I think this is where a lot of us get caught up. It's normal to let fear dictate our choices. Um, We want to be in control. I think that's a perfectly normal human trait. But as Christians, we're called to live life differently, right? We are called to humble ourselves the same way that Christ humbled himself. We're going to put our main idea up on the screen right now. And as that's coming up, um, I want to encourage you to get out your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bible, you can pull out your phone, your tablet, whatever it is that you got, and go to mygrace.church. You can follow along there in our sermon notes as well. Our main idea today is actually a quote from C.S. Lewis. The more we let God take us over, 
the more truly ourselves we become, because he made us. In other words, the more we surrender to God, the more confident in ourselves we can become, because we accept that God is in control. Today isn't about me standing up here and trying to give you some kind of a quick fix or two, three-step program on giving up control. But instead, I want to try and unpack with you some of the struggles that I've had in my own prayer life, some of my own issues and parts of my life where I struggle with giving up control. And maybe that will help inform you on the things that you struggle with as well. So, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. I'm going to be reading it from the message uh, paraphrase up here, and that's going to be what's on the screen, but feel free to follow along in whatever translation you have. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And it was the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Now to understand what's happening here in the beginning of chapter 2, I think it's important to take a step back for a second and look at what's going on in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul's kind of setting up his situation. He's kind of describing to us what's going on. He's in prison, but assures the Philippian Christians that his imprisonment has actually served the gospel. It served the gospel because it's given him an opportunity to actually share and and preach the gospel to the imperial guards. He wants to emphasize his reassurance to the Philippians that counter any inclination on their part that this imprisonment should be looked at in a negative way. He understood the tendency of humans to take negative situations in fear and let that cause them to dictate their choices. When it's come to my own walk with Christ, I've let fear, more often than not, force me to try and control my circumstance and not surrender fully to God. What is it about control? When somebody else wants to control us, 
right? We throw it, we cringe, we hate it. You're not going to control me. But when we think about the ability to control our own lives, it's actually a very pleasing thing. We want to control our own circumstances. It's the American dream, isn't it? It's embedded into our culture. It's been taught to every single one of us since we were children. Work hard. Live up to your potential. You can have whatever it is you want. Your dreams can come true if you just put in enough work. The first thing I want to emphasize this morning, our first point, is that Christ chose surrender over control. Rather than choosing control of his own life, Jesus instead chose to surrender everything to the will of God. We see in the Gospels how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Whom would he let control his life? Would he fall into temptation and say, you know what, devil, you're right. I can, I do got this. I can manage this on my own. Or would he surrender all those choices to God? We also see how the chief priests during Jesus' trial mocked him and scorned him. Told him, if you're so great, just save yourself. And if that wasn't enough, even on the cross, criminal being crucified next to Jesus had to get one last jab in. You really are the Son of God. Just get yourself down off of this cross. Maybe you guys can kind of relate to some of the situations that Jesus faced. So what I want to unpack this morning when it comes to giving up control and letting fear dictate our circumstances is this idea that we need to surrender. We're called to surrender, but it isn't easy. And I know it isn't easy. The last thing any of us really want to do is give up control. Letting go of control and giving it over to anyone, much more God, can be a frightening prospect. I want to tell you a story. There was a rich man, lived his life building his dream, worked hard, kept his nose to the ground, lived a good life, finally was able to build his dream home. Each room that he built and prepared was, was better than the one that he had built before it. One day, he decided to invite Jesus to come and live in his house. He had prepared the most elaborate, gorgeous, beautiful room with all the amenities that he felt someone of Jesus' status would deserve. So he invited Jesus to come and live with him. Took him up the steps to the very last door at the end of the hall. And he said, Jesus, welcome. I want you to stay with me as long as you want. Here in this room, you have control over everything. Anything you need should be in here. This room is yours. Then he proceeded to shut the door behind him, walk back down the steps, and go about his life. That night, he heard this loud banging at his door. He woke up, kind of 
lazily, half asleep, goes down the steps, opens up the door to find these demons, these struggles, three of them in fact. One, alcohol abuse. One, marital issues. One, interpersonal relational dynamics at his work. He wrestled with these demons. He wrestled with these things for, for hours until the point of exhaustion took him over. Finally, he managed to shut the door and go back up to bed and fall asleep. But before he fell asleep, he asked himself, that's really strange. Jesus must have heard all that commotion. Why didn't he come down and help me? Oh, well. I'm sure he was just busy or maybe he didn't hear. The next day he woke up, a little tired, but went about his day. Things were fine. That night, since uh, he was so exhausted from the night previous, he decided to go to bed early. Around midnight, there was another knock on the door. This time, it was like a tornado was hitting his house. He really felt like all this banging was going to result in the door getting knocked down entirely. So he got up, went downstairs. He opened the door again to find not just alcohol abuse, marital issues, interpersonal relational demons, but dozens of more that had come up that day that he still hadn't dealt with or struggled with. This fight went on longer. There were more demons to deal with. But he did finally manage to get that door shut. So exhausted, so tired, he couldn't even get to his bed. So he just passed out on his couch. The next morning he decided that he had had enough. Surely Jesus must have heard last night. That was a lot. Dealing with a lot of issues. Maybe I should go check on him. Maybe I should just see what was going on. Walked up the steps, knocked on Jesus' door and opened it up, and inquired, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. For the last two nights, I've had to fight all of these demons all by myself, go through all these struggles alone. You were sleeping the entire time. Is this how you repay me for giving you my best room in the house? I don't get it. Jesus started tearing up, but the man continued, I just don't understand. I really thought once I invited you into my house that you'd take care of me the way that I've taken care of you. What else can I do? My precious child, Jesus spoke softly, I do love and care for you. I protect all that you have released into my care. But when you invited me to come here and stay, you brought me to this lovely room and shut the door to the rest of the house. I've protected this room. 
You haven't had any struggles here. You invited me to come and be over this room, but I am not the master of this house. Oh Lord, please forgive me, the man said. Take all of my house, it's yours. I'm so sorry that I ever, that I didn't offer it to you all to begin with. I want you to have control of everything. Second thing I want you to take away from today. Don't segment your life with God from the rest of your life. Don't put God in a box over here on Sunday and then live your life Monday through Saturday. I've been guilty of that. When we surrender to God, it doesn't mean that we're just placing him in the comfortable areas of our lives. It doesn't mean placing him in the cleanest room of our hearts and minds and walking him past all the other lesser rooms. It means we've got to give up our pride, our independence, and all those other things in our life that we've deemed important and precious, that we've tried to place ahead of Jesus, or even worse, tried to think that we could hide from him. It's allowing God to guide your life, acknowledging him in all things, and realizing that, we, that this life comes from him. It means fully understanding that we can't make it without his consistent guidance. Take a look back at verses 5 through 8. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges, but instead he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death, that of a crucifixion. So how do you know when you've surrendered to God? You surrender to God when you rely on him to work things out instead of you trying to manipulate and force your own agenda to control the situation. You let go of fear and you let God work. That open and honest, transparent communication that I was talking about earlier is not just important in maintaining relationships with each other or relationships with your family, but it's so important with maintaining your relationship with God. You've fully surrendered yourself when you stop letting fear dictate the choices that you make, but instead you let God dictate those choices. Third point for today. Surrender must be a continuous practice. It's not a one-and-done deal. Surrendering isn't just a one-time thing. There's going to be challenges in your faith life. Things are going to be hard. This is true. Jesus, um, after being tempted for the third time, uh, Luke records this for us. It says, When the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So 
the devil left him for that point, right, at that point, but he was going to look for other opportunities in the future. That's true for Jesus, that's true for us. Surrendering is not just a one-time thing. Me personally, I wish that I had learned that truth much earlier in my own faith walk. Maybe if that's something that I had realized earlier, then I wouldn't have abused alcohol as long as I did. Maybe I would have approached my marriage differently. Maybe at work I would have handled relationships with my employees with less tension and anger. Maybe it wouldn't have taken me eight years to finish seminary. Without total surrender, we are attempting to work for God instead of letting God work through us. Without total surrender, we are saying that we want to do work for God instead of letting God work through us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To follow him, his ways must become our ways. His words need to become our words. His thoughts should become our thoughts. His beliefs should become our beliefs. And his heart should become our heart. And if we can get that down, then our hands will become his hands. Our eyes and ears will become his eyes and ears. Our actions will become his actions. Our bodies will become his body. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. After Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, he went on to say, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. He's talking about us, right? I don't know about you, but I think it's kind of cool that we can even think about the prospects of doing greater things than Jesus. I want to be a part of that. Now, since we're in this series on prayer, I'd be remiss if I didn't share relevant prayer. That has really helped me understand control of my own life. Um, So we'll put it up on the screen there. The serenity prayer. Maybe many of you know it and have used it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, Taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. We're going to pray here in a second, but I want to throw up our next steps before we do so. What about you? What are the areas of your life that you've divided between God and yourselves? 
Are there things that you're comfortable giving him control over and other things that you're not? You're trying to control some circumstances in your life. What are they? What are you trying to handle on your own? If you're holding on to control over an area in your life, what's the fear that's causing you to do it? And lastly, a plug for life groups. None of us were meant to follow Jesus through this faith thing on our own. I really hope and pray that all of you are in a life group. For those of you that aren't, I really want to encourage you to join. You can talk to myself, you can talk to Pastor Dave, Sue, Katie. Any of us can help you get plugged in to a group of like-minded Christians that meet regularly to pray for one another and to talk about these fears, to talk about the control that we want to have in our lives over God. We weren't meant to do this alone. Will you pray with me?